Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past, present and emerging of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. Hello. Morning. Hello. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on your dial or online at 3cr.org.au. Thank you to the Radioactive Show, current news and information on nuclear peace and energy issues, and you can listen back online. We've got a full studio today. Yeah. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> We've got George sitting hey. across from me. I might actually be croakier than Chris today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think. I think. Um, Is that even possible? <laughs> I think Zoya, I'm sitting over here, may may well be able to provide some competition there. <laughs> Listen to my soothing dulcet. Look at that tone. Yeah, suck in, guys. I reckon. Still, still croaky. <laughs> I feel, I feel like we can probably track the weather based on the croakiness of uh, Tuesday <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. And I'm Anya here. It's a full studio. Chris Woods. Yes, thank you. Um, Do you want to introduce yourself first? Oh, yeah, I'm Chris. I, uh, I currently the morning reporter for Crikey. Um, Perfect. But yeah. That's croaky, croaky. 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 Uh, nice. <laughs> okay, well done. Just All before right. we go to the headlines, actually, we wanted to discuss one thing, I think. Yeah, so on Friday, George and I attended the vigil for Courtney Heron in Royal Park um, on a rather wet and windy night, but there was there was a really good showing. I reckon there must have been quite a few hundred people yeah. there um, in an area that is actually quite not overly easy to get to, yeah. I suppose, considering how close it is to the road and to the hospital and other yeah. things. I was rather shocked by the, the location. It's not as um, secluded as as you might think, which was which I think was I found rather um, it was it was quite disconcerting, I suppose, to think about how close to the city and close to the road something like that like that can happen and just just the level of um, uh, impact on women's safety that can be experienced in such exposed and, and, and public areas. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but it was rather beautiful. I don't know if, if, George, if you heard the poem. There was a poem at the beginning. I caught, I, I could just hear parts of it and it was really moving. Yeah. It was very, very moving. And, and, and Courtney's mum spoke, which I thought was so brave. Um, and, and yeah, it was, it was a really, really moving thing. And yeah, mm. and I think you said on the night the experience of kind of being really close to people's grief, and that was it was an interesting kind of like the publicness mm. of that. But I think I was reading later on 
uh, some quotes from her mother who had said how uh, how important it was to feel like other people cared and were there. So, you know, we were wondering about that, being in that space. Yeah, we were wondering that. It was such raw grief. Mm. I don't think I've ever witnessed something so raw in such a public space. And and there was this feeling, especially standing so far back, you couldn't see anything, particularly over the umbrellas and, and through the rain, all you could hear was, was the grief. And mm. that thought of, is this intrusive? Is this something that, that we should be witnessing? Because I think in our... In our society, we don't process and experience grief publicly enough and mm. together and as a community enough. And I think that that is, I'm, I'm glad's the wrong word, but um, I think it's I'm, important. And, yeah. I'm, and, I'm, yeah. and important and it's good that, that, mm. that her mother did find that yeah. comforting. Yeah, mm. definitely. And then this also ties in with something that you want to cover on Tuesday Breakfast around safety and... Absolutely. Public spaces. Absolutely. I was reading an article by the um, uh, an associate professor at Monash Uni, Dr. Nicole Calms. She's written a few things, and, and the conversation reshared an article she wrote last year, and she just recently published another one about the need to listen to women's voices when it comes to designing urban spaces. Because city planners and urban designers, landscape architects, they create these spaces without thought about things like lines of sight, the impact of, of environments on sound, on feelings of seclusion. And um, Dr. Uh, Dr. Calms um, is also the founding director of the XXY Labs, which is a, a space gender communications lab um, at Monash University. They are mapping unsafe spaces in Melbourne as well as on public transport and how to improve the feeling of safety of women in these public spaces. And I think the work that she's doing and people like that around, you know, Australia, around the world are doing is so important because we really don't consider just how much those gender based issues feed into not only how we function as a society interacting with each other, but in our built environment. And the built environment can really impact how we feel, how we interact, how we behave as a society, as a culture. Mm -hmm. um, in particular, the most recent article by Dr. Kalms that was in the Fifth Estate spoke a lot about um, lighting which I didn't even think about. We think just light something up right, shine it up, and then we'll be great. But um, the levels of lighting, the floodlight feeling, those really harsh white lights of LEDs, which are environmentally friendly, but the ones that are used mostly are very, very harsh, they can create these pools that then have these darkened bits outside of it that make people feel unsafe or that can be blinding and disorientating that mean we can't judge distance or we can't mm. and, and it actually makes us it's not natural and we are animals we like natural lighting and it creates this heightened sense of 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 um, unsafety mm. for women and I think if we listen to women and other marginalized groups I think you know people of color queer people people who inhabit bodies that aren't that aren't the norm um, for want of a better word, um, would benefit from being listened to mm. in design of these spaces. And that's my morning rant. I think it's really interesting because I feel like from where I come from in terms of these issues, you try and get at it from, get at it from a different angle, mm. but thinking about public spaces and urban planning as a way to actually address some of these social mm. and political mm. issues and issues of violence I think is really fascinating. So I'm looking forward to a discussion you know, Tuesday brekkie at some point. Hopefully in the future. That, yeah. I think I think this might be my uh, my issue of concern for the year. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just a brief rundown on what we've got on for the program today. So first up, I know you'll be speaking with 
somebody. I'll be speaking with Courtney Peters at yep. about 7.30. Courtney's from the St Kilda Legal Service and they, um, she'll be speaking about um, a launch event this Thursday. Uh, a, uh, it's a launch event of a fact sheet for legal professionals about sex worker rights. Mm-hmm. That sounds really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to play an excerpt from a podcast on ni- uh, 98.9 FM, which is an Indigenous community radio station in Mianjin. And that's with Dr. Chelsea Bond and Angelina Hurley. It's called Wild Black Women. And we're going to play a- an excerpt of their discussion about Reconciliation Week and kind of, I guess, making fun of what that really means. And then finally, we'll be talking with Zoe, who is a Puerto Rican-American illustrator and painter from New Jersey, and she has an art exhibition coming up uh, later this month, and it is about sex and intimacy. It's beautiful, and I'm so excited to speak with her. First up, Chris, over to you for the headlines. Thanks, George. And, um, yeah, for, first up, uh, deeply depressing, but um, a few weeks in, a few weeks after the election, the number of suicide and self-harm attempts on Manus Island continues to grow. I think yesterday some refugees on the island were saying it's up to 40. Um, and in response, over the weekend, the um, Papua New Guinea's, it's, it's a fairly notorious and, uh, yeah, notorious police unit. Uh, they, they, deployed, they deployed the police unit to, um, uh, to kind of, like, take over a lot of the areas that refugees and people seeking asylum were, were living in, camped in. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of problems with that, not least of all that the unit has some really horrible allegations alleged against against them. And I, again, I don't know what the current makeup is, but it's a it's a particularly um, yeah particularly notorious group. So, and it's one way or another, it is not the appropriate response to uh, people suffering a mental health crisis is having more police turn up. Um, and Australia has done so far. The Australian government's just ignored it because that is that is their thing. Um, Next up, the, uh, the Adani coal mine. It's interesting that the last, the last few weeks it's been the, appro- the approval process has kind of been sped up almost. The, the Queensland government has clearly, you know, whether it's correct or not, they've taken the impression from the election that, oh, this is the Adani cost us in re- regional Queensland. We have to speed this up. And they have. They've given one, they got one of the approvals. One of the departments gave one of the approvals last Friday for the, uh, black-throated finch endangered plan, uh, protection plan, I should say, um, and then another few weeks we're going to get the groundwater approval, which, if anything is to go by, will also be sped up. Um, but what's interesting as part of that is one of, uh, I forget who it was, but one of the coalition senators last week kind of let slip, and this this has been assumed for a long time, that like 10 years ago when the, when the mine was proposed biggest in the southern hemisphere, I think, uh, they were bleeding on about 10, having 10,000 ongoing jobs, that this was the big draw card, it had re- revitalized the region, and you know, understandably, a lot of people in those areas were thinking, oh, 10,000 jobs, this is something we want. Uh, then in court documents, they had to admit, oh, actually, it's only 1,500, you know, a little less than that. But And that was back then. That was like seven, oh, that was like eight eight or nine years ago. Um, they had to admit, they're like, oh, this is only, yeah, at most 1,500 jobs. And then since then, they've, they've announced plans for a scaled-down version of the mine, which would not so much um it, it's not that like it would continue and you know over its entire life it would probably be the same amount of coal but it would be less like less for the first 10 years and they were saying as part of that they'll just be 15,000 jobs again and last week uh, the senator and I, f- I forget a name but I, I should i should have grabbed it um let's slip that you know when it launches there'll be 1500 jobs but uh ongoing it'll only be 100 
So what? in the space of 10 years, it's gone down to 100 ongoing jobs. Uh, this, this thing that will rip up the environment, it will be massive carbon footprint. It's, it's against the wishes of many of the traditional owners. A um, million different reasons this thing shouldn't go ahead, and now it's also the job. The job thing is mm. been because a lot of this stuff, and they've been, it's been pretty obvious for a while that if first they said ten thousand and it's actually fifteen hundred, now that they're saying fifteen hundred, it was always going to be a lot less than that because of automated processes. Um, next up in the news, uh, there's a few there's a few world events going on, but um, something that we'll probably see a lot of today, and it's a bit lighter than that stuff, is just that. Donald Trump is in America, and he provided one of those. Um, actually, Soy and I were talking about this you yesterday. You mean he's in the UK? The UK. Sorry, what did I say? America. America. Oh, <laughs> yes. Worry. Sorry, Got UK. Got to put in the room just to clarify. Yes. I am not from America, and let's, you know, at least at least yeah. at least there's that that I've got going for me. <laughs> Maybe not yeah. the rest just of the, from the UK. Not just the from the, of, the UK. Not the rest of what my country is doing. But yeah, um, not problematic at all. <laughs> the United Kingdom. No, sorry, the UK. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. No, sorry. Yeah, Trump was in the UK, and he and we were joking that uh, he provided one of those straps you see in the Doomsday movies that you know, so you know, at the start of those, uh, the tickers at the bottom of the TV screen that says Trump, President Trump denies calling Duchess of Sussex nasty. And it's one of those awful little things you see that's like, oh, this is we're all going to die now. This yeah. is this is the start of the Doomsday film. This is when we click through and we know this is the end times. Um, so yeah, he's there. He's already insulted the London mayor. He's, he's just been firing off. He's been saying that I never said that, even though it's on record, I'm pretty sure. Um, he's, he got a big party thrown from at the palace with the queen, which is just a weird sight. Mm. Uh, so that's all smiles there. Um, uh, yeah, so that's, I don't know, that's just something we'll really see a lot of. Um, why is he like this? I saw him tweeting about the Pride Month, you know, and how great it is. Oh. LGBTIQ people while rolling out these ridiculous laws, yeah, you know, stripping back all the protections for transgender people over there, and absolutely every day I'm seeing news about another transgender person being killed in America. Mm. He's doing that while tweeting about Pride Month. Well, yeah. I, I think I think a big part of it is I mean, he's he comes from a background of I guess he's a he's a he's a media personality more so than anything else, and I did read an article. It was a senior White House correspondent who was one of the um, one's leading the charge against against him and his his manipulation of the news and and the media cycle and was one of the core people that Trump accused of publishing fake news and that kind of thing in one of his big tirades and he has revealed that that not long after I think it was the day of the interaction between them and the, the very public bout that they had through the media Trump called him or Trump's um, you know, chief of staff or someone like that called him to congratulate him on a job well done, on p- putting on a good show. Mm. So it's very clear that for Trump, he understands that this isn't that, that mm. this isn't real, but he sees it as part of this huge public performance that the world is a theatre, yeah. and yeah. he thinks that he is so. I think he is he is so bound up in it that he sees everyone else as also playing a part and just seeing it as fun and theatre. It's a game. It's yeah. a game. It's a game to him, and he doesn't quite understand that what he's doing is is damaging. He thinks he's just yeah. and that he does. I don't. I don't even think anyone. I don't even think he quite thinks anyone's taking him that seriously. And it's, I think it's, that's totally related to the fact that media outlets, they love him because they've actually, he saved them in many ways yeah. Yeah. because of the, the drama, the constant the drama. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. horrifying. It's playing fast and loose with people's lives. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, and then I guess coming back to Chris's point, all you have to do is say I'm for LGBTQA plus rights and Ananya's point that then you can still do all these other things, but no one's going to look into that. Mm-hmm. All they all they hear is, okay, Trump is for it's us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, unless you're from the community and you're like, oh, excuse me, one of our transgender troops. Yeah. yeah, yeah, not, yeah. Um, Sorry, and yeah. that was a rant. I just you know, no, no, really interesting yeah. rant, and I, I think that might be a good good spot to end on. If I, I do have one one piece of news that I just saw that came out while mm. I was travelling on on the tram. Um, that Casta Semenya that we talked about, yeah. no, we talked about her issue. Um, she's been allowed to compete um, because Yay. the Swiss Federal Supreme Court has temporarily suspended um, her judgment, her sentence. It's not really a sentence, but you know her ruling. Her ruling. Really? That's right. That's the word. Is it? I don't know. You're the, le- you're yeah. the legal. Yeah, you're the lawyer. <laughs> I'm making up terms right now. Um, George is lawyer now. Yeah. <laughs> you are the lawyer. You are the lawyer. Anya, maybe you can provide some background for anyone who might mm. be listening and mm. might not be across the, the Casta Semenya. So uh, I think, you know, briefly, so Casta Semenya is the South African athlete um, and she was suspended from competing in races. She's a very successful athlete um, because her testosterone level was higher than, you know, other female identifying athletes um, and that caused a lot of um, I guess noise around that issue because it was a medical issue that she wasn't responsible for, she hadn't taken any steroids, just turns out that she had a higher than usual testosterone level um, there was a lot of misgendering of her, there was a lot of um, talk about how black women's bodies are policed in such a way that you know other non-black people would never be mm-hmm. policed, for example Michael Phelps with his extra yeah. long arms, that celebrated but this person with an extra testosterone level was demonised and um, anyway, so she was suspended from competing and she didn't back down. She appealed it in the Swiss Federal Supreme Court and now she's won that appeal. Um, That's awesome. So, That's yeah, really she fantastic. doesn't need to. So they said that she had to use medication to lower her testosterone levels um, and now she doesn't have to. Um, and this suspension um, is valid until Semenya's appeal against the rules has been finalised. Okay. So it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. And, and just to clarify, I suppose, and um, one or two things. Firstly, um, in 2015, and um, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, um, Dati Chand, who is an Indian athlete and won quite a few medals in the Asian Games, had her appeal upheld by the Court of Arbitration in Sport in 2015. Mm. So it's really interesting how things have shifted. And again, maybe it's speaking to certain levels of racism and the policing of black bodies versus brown bodies and understanding the, the nuances around that. On top of that testosterone levels don't actually impact things Mm. as much as we think it does particularly when it comes to things like sprinting Mm. and further to that the asking or the demanding that she take testosterone not only is it invasive Mm. in a personal way the physical impact of taking testosterone on your of of reducing your testosterone on your body is a very physically invasive act to Mm. do it's not as simple as just you know i take a pill and nothing else is going to change that much it would have impacted a lot of things for her both potentially i mean we don't want to, to you know um uh make too many assumptions but 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 it definitely would have impacted her on so many different levels psychologically physically 
<laughs> it is wild that anyone thinks they have that right to yeah. sentence someone. Like, it's on, obviously, it's separate, but it's, it's going back to the really dark days of chemical castration. Absolutely. It's another one of those things that it's like, how, how the hell does anyone think that, like, okay, this is what yeah. you, you have to do this if mm. you want this particular outcome. Absolutely. Yeah. And she yeah. hasn't backed down at all, and it's, yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. And especially for people to come that it would have set a precedent for anyone else mm. in a similar situation. Yeah. Um, but then we're seeing the ways that the state intrudes on people's, like, it, you know, is forcing people to do things in terms of reproductive health and all these yeah. things and, and in so many different parts of the world. Like, mm. it's, it's just... It's un- unimaginable that the state thinks they have that right to do yeah. to do that and to yeah. tell someone that they need to do something with their body. It's mm. grotesque. Yeah. yeah. So we might go to a song that Zoya suggested. Yeah. Did you want to introduce it? Yeah, this is one of my favourite songs. Um, as a non-binary person who grew up, you know, struggling a bit with that as a child, this is Grace Petrie with Black Tie. Our Radiothon is here. And this year, we're asking you to power Radical Radio. That's right. It's with your support that we're able to be independent, community-controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon powers the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon 2019 June the 3rd to the 16th Power Radical Radio You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR with a pretty full house (laughs) this morning we've got Chris, Anya, Zoya and myself George and we just wanted to mention about Radiothon, you just heard that CSA, so next week we'll be hopefully having a pretty jam-packed show talking about everything we love about 3CR and why people should donate if they can (laughs) or how they can support us, Um, so that'll be really exciting. Yes, super exciting. My first Radiothon. I'm so excited. (laughs) Hopefully I'll still be here at the end of it. (laughs) No, it's going to be great. (laughs) I'm just worried that I'm not going to be good enough. I'm not going to, like, help us raise enough money. Um, (laughs) Nah, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. (laughs) Constant sense of guilt. Um, Before that, we had a couple of songs. We had, as I said before the song, one of my favourite tunes in the world, Black Tie by Grace Petrie. And after that, George, what did we have? And then we heard a track by P. Unique, who's a Tuesday Breakfast favourite, and that tune is called Hummingbird. It was great. (laughs) 
For listeners tuning in, we are 3CR Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. Up next, we're going to be talking to Courtney Peters from St Kilda Legal Service about um, an event this Thursday called the Legal Issues for Professionals Fact Sheets Launch. Thank you so much for joining us today, Courtney. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. So, Courtney, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at St Kilda Legal Service? Sure. So I'm the Community Legal Education and Law Reform Lawyer at St Kilda Legal Service. A lot of words, but um, (laughs) a lot of my role is about community engagement. So often at St Kilda Legal Service, we work with some of the most vulnerable members of the community, so those experiencing mental health issues, homelessness or drug and alcohol addiction. Mm -hmm. And then through legal education, we hope to give people enough to firstly recognise that they have a legal issue um, and then hopefully they have enough information to then understand their rights and responsibilities and make informed choices. You know, Mm -hmm. we want to empower people and hopefully give them knowledge to either avoid legal conflicts or know, at least the escalation of legal issues. Mm. So we provide, we provide this information to services as well so that support workers, you know, housing support or mental health workers in our catchment, um, they're often the first point of call for our clients. So, you know, hopefully they can recognise when their clients might have legal issues and refer them on to us. Mm. And then the law reform side of my role is about addressing those systematic barriers to justice. So we look at our casework that comes in and we try to identify unfair or ineffective laws and then try and use law reform to address those issues and hopefully bring about change. Mm-hmm. Um, so most recently, together with our LGBTI legal service, we wrote a submission in response to the National Inquiry into Sexual Harassment in Australian Workplaces, mm-hmm. and we're currently working on a submission in response to the Victorian Government Inquiry into the Mental Health System. Mm-hmm. And what kind of, um, what areas of law or what kind of services does St Kilda Legal Service help people with? Yep, so we're a free legal service and we provide services to the members of um, cities of Port Phillip, Bayside, Donington and little bits of Glenira mm-hmm. and that's through casework, legal education and law reform. Um, we're generalist, so that means we can see clients in a really broad range of legal issues. So anything from fines and debt and credit to criminal matters, family violence, pretty broad. Mm-hmm. Um, our generalist service operates three nights a week and that's staffed by volunteers. And then during the day, we've got specialist services. So that includes, um, we've got a community outreach lawyer, family lawyer, family violence lawyer, the LGBTI legal service, and we've also got a fine clinic and a crime clinic. Mm-hmm. So if anyone wants more information, it's on our website, skls.org.au, or you can always call um, our reception, which is 8598-6635, um, for more information. Mm, perfect. That's that's a lot of work, and just <clears throat> a general plug that CLCs not need more funding, please. Yes. Um, so yes, tell us absolutely. about... We're always under-resourced. <laughs> yeah, yeah, always. Um, yeah. Tell us about the Legal Issues for Professionals Fact Sheets launch. What is it all about? Yep. So this Thursday, that's the 6th of June, we're launching a new set of fact sheets for sex workers. So in total, we've produced seven fact sheets and really they're the next step in a long line of um, assistance St Kilda Legal Service has provided to sex workers over the years. So the topics for these fact sheets came together. We had lots of consultations with the sex worker community and that included surveys and workshops and um, working with different, closely with different organisations. And 
the fact sheet's mainly focused on dealing with authority. So police, mm. council, consumer affairs, Department of Health and Human Services and Workplace. And then we've got another two that don't fit under that umbrella of authorities and that's understanding um, sex worker rights at work, so health and safety in the workplace, um, personal property in the workplace. And then we've got another one on general sex worker safety. So that relates to things like assault, rape, blackmail and stalking. The topics about dealing with authorities focus on what people's IDs look like and mm-hmm. what 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 are your rights and responsibilities during an inspection. So this relates mainly to brothels and escort agencies and what we've learnt um, through our consultation is that the sex work industry is just so over-policed mm-hmm. and there are raids happening all the time on legal and illegal brothels and it's just important for people to know what their rights are so they aren't taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you can do a general search on the internet and see plenty of information about how to interact with these agencies. There's just not necessarily practical advice or how it plays out in real life for sex workers. Mm-hmm. They're constantly battling stigmas and discrimination. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's a lot of agencies that can show up to your workplace and inspect at any time. Mm-hmm. And then the flip side of that is, you know, there's a risk that there are potential clients out there who, you know, can go in and um, pretend to be from these authorities mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. use that to blackmail yeah. sex workers. So, you know, just trying to empower them to know what they're looking for in terms of ID and yeah. understand what questions they have to answer. So mm-hmm. this launch that we're having on Thursday is just a chance to celebrate the work that's gone into the fact sheets and just give people a chance to have a look at them grab a copy um, and also speaking at the launch will be Jane Green from Vixen Collective mm-hmm. which is a, peer, a peer-led sex worker agency so we worked really closely with Vixen Collective and Red during this process. Red is um, under Star Health and they also provide health advice and resources to sex workers. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, Jane Green is a Tuesday breakfast favourite as well, so we've um, had yeah. her on a couple of times. She's so very knowledgeable. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so based on your experience and your consultations with, you know, sex yeah. workers, what, uh, I mean, it sounds like they're not getting the kind of support that they should be getting, really. Yeah. And what, what are the barriers that they're facing in accessing that sort of support? Yeah, look, I mean, I can't speak for sex workers, but mm-hmm. from what I've learned, mm-hmm. I think, I mean, on top of the stigma and discrimination, which is just a really big issue. I think one of the biggest concerns is how complicated the areas of law surrounding sex work are. So what mm-hmm. people need to understand is that in Victoria, except for street-based work, sex work isn't illegal. It's a licensing system. Mm-hmm. So to be a sex worker, you have to have a license. But then on top of that, there are just so many laws and regulations outlining who can be a sex worker, um, where they can practice, who they can provide services to, what kind of license they need, do they need a planning permit, like, there's just so many things, you know, I'm mm. a lawyer and it took me a long time to get my head around all of it mm. and I just, I don't know, I can't think of another profession as highly regulated and then you've got all these laws and then a big concern is that even with all these rules, I just don't think there's any account for the safety of sex workers, so sex workers can't work out of their own homes. They can go into a client's home or hotel, which is just an unknown entity, mm-hmm. and it's taking them out of the safety of their own home. Mm-hmm. And then because of the stigmas, sex workers don't feel safe or comfortable reaching out for help. So I think through this project, I've just heard so many stories about abuse and assault and discrimination. And as a lawyer, you know, my, res- 
my instinct is to say, why don't you report this? Mm. And the response is, you know, to be laughed at. You know, we've included in one of our fact sheets the disclaimer that Victorian law recognises that sex workers are no less entitled to be protected from sexual assault and rape than anyone else. And, you know, it, it sounds like a given, but it, I think it really needs to be spelt out because up until a few years ago, there would reduce sentences for convicted rapists mm. if the victim was a sex worker. That's so, horrifying. That, yeah, horrifying. And that only changed a few years ago. And, mm. you know, even today, we've, people aren't reporting it. And we've also seen in situations of family violence that mm. sex workers are just reluctant to report to police because they're scared they'll be told it's their fault. Yeah. So you've got these concerns that they're just not going to be believed or respected and get the help they need. And then, you know, that's, on the other hand, they're scared of being outed. So, mm. you know, because of a stigma associated with being a sex worker, once they're outed, there's concerns with, you know, studying, with other jobs, with tenancies. So I think mm-hmm. they're, they're the big issues. Yeah. Yeah. And look, you know, it's great that your organization is doing this to, to support them. Um, what more can, you know, can we as general public do, um, to, you know, help sex workers access this sort of support and service? Yeah. Look, I think, um, we need to be engaging with sex workers. We need to be talking to them, understanding their needs, finding out what they need Mm -hmm. um and then we also need to change attitudes and get rid of the stigma Mm -hmm. so i know st kilda legal service we've created a safe space where sex workers know they can come and get legal advice without judgments or assumptions Mm -hmm. and then you know on a bigger scale maybe it's time to start thinking about decriminalization you know i don't know if it will fix everything but Mm -hmm. it's it's an important step to changing people's attitudes and making this you know, this heavily legislated profession, hopefully a little bit safer. Mm-hmm. You know, you start recognising it as a legitimate profession and you start offering those protections to people who are currently operating outside the licensing system and they're already so vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. Discussion. Yeah, 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 and we could keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because of time restraints, we might have to end it there. But could you just remind yeah. listeners once again about the logistics, yeah. where, when... How do people... Yes. Yeah. So if people want to come to the event, tickets are available. Um, it's on Thursday, this Thursday at 3.30 at 101 Engagement Hub. That's 101 Carlisle Street, St Kilda. Mm-hmm. Um, you can book tickets through our Facebook page. So if you look up St Kilda Legal Service, um, there's an event there, or you can call the legal service to get more information, and the number is 8598 6635. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today, Courtney, and all the best with the launch. Thank you. And if you've just tuned in, we were just speaking to... To Courtney Peters from St Kilda Legal Service about their launch event this Thursday. Um, it's a fact sheet aimed at, um, you know, uh, sort of explaining the rights of sex workers. Santa Concha, what the hell is a completo anyway? It's a Chilean hot dog, mate. What happens when lots of people get together and eat completos? It becomes a completada bailable. If you really want to experience a completada bailable and support our 3CR community, come to our fundraiser, Saturday 8th of June at Moreland City Bandroom, 16 Cross Street, East Brunswick, at 6pm. Come and check your culo with DJ Twin and DJ Otorongo and live music by Abe Danovitz, Little Chili and their mates. Limpiese la boquita que le quedó pa'l tip. 
In December 2017, Tanya Day, proud Yorta Yorta woman and much-loved member of the Aboriginal community, was travelling by train to Melbourne. When V-Line staff found her asleep, they called Castlemaine Police and she was removed from the train and charged with public drunkenness. Tanya died 17 days later as a result of head injuries sustained while in custody. This would never have happened had the recommendations of the 2001 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody been implemented. Tanya Day's family is calling for the crime of public drunkenness to be abolished and for the implementation of genuine community health alternatives to incarceration. Please add your support by signing the petition at 3CR Reception, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or online by entering Tanya Day Petition into your browser. You're listening to Tuesday Brekkie on 3CR. We've got Chris, Anya, Zoya and myself, George, in the studio. That was such a good interview, Anya, and a really important discussion to be having. And I just wanted to add to that, uh, in the gender politics subject that I tutor, we talk about sex work and sex trafficking. And it's really interesting how there is still such a kind of... Students have a very very strong opinions on this topic mm. that we know come from, you know, socialisation and cultural ideas, mm. but it's very difficult to try and... Sometimes, like, a lot of a lot of people are on the level and it's, and it's great, but there is still that resistance and it's hard to get people to kind of think differently or, or think about different perspectives. Mm. And even if you try and put, you know, put forward, okay, this is what uh, uh, sex worker organisations are saying mm. needs to happen, decriminalisation is the most preferred option, you mm. know, you put all that information there and it's still quite difficult. But it's just, I think it's terrifying that this is one of the only industries that the police are in charge of overseeing. Yeah. And how is that, how is that permissible? Mm. You know, it's and and of course people aren't going to be safe yeah. under those conditions in the in the licensing system. So we know that that targets migrant sex workers mm-hmm. specifically and other marginalised groups of people. That um, yeah, if you don't have a license, then you have absolutely no rights at all. There's no no way that you can tell anyone about mm-hmm. anything that happens, and it's terrifying. Yeah, especially um, Courtney's point about you know potential clients pretending to be authority figures. Yeah to abuse sex workers that I mean of course it happens but I didn't even really think about it until she said it yeah um I mean anywhere with such such an institutional you know power imbalance is dangerous and this I mean you know and homosexuality was criminalized for such a long time not that that issue is the same as this one but decriminalizing it was the first step to major progress in that area um and so I mean it makes perfect sense to me why decriminalization is and, you know, that's not my point of view. That's, you know, mostly sex workers and those organisations who've lived and worked in this area for years have been saying. So. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And I think um, that, like, putting that, the, the, I, the sort of the, the, ter- the swerf ideas into perspective of, you know, this is carceral feminism when mm. people have, because yeah. coming back and looking at, okay, there are conservatives that are anti-sex work, but there are also a, a lot of feminists. Mm. And it's that that idea that you can get at these issues punitively, mm-hmm. that you can just solve, you know, mm-hmm. let's eradicate sex work by just 
punishing people that are involved in the industry mm. and that's not going to solve anything and, and it's not understanding people's agency and the reasons you know the fact that this can be a job that people actually want to do like it denies all of those factors mm. and just to clarify SWERF is sex worker yes. exclusionary <laughs> radical <you>. feminist <laughs> for anyone out there who may who may not be familiar yeah, yeah. thank you for that and carceral feminism as well I think you know if listeners take one thing from today Google that. <laughs> yes, definitely. And there's actually a new book that um, has come out. It's called Revolting Prostitutes. Mm-hmm. And it is, I, I've only read some sections of it, but it's written by Juno Mack and Molly Smith. And it basically talks about how the law harms sex workers and what they want instead. And it has some really important historical accounts. Mm. I think it's a really, yeah, a really good read in the context of these issues. Yeah, yeah. perfect. And speaking of decriminalization, we also just wanted to plug this event that's happening tomorrow. It's called Sobering Thoughts Public Drunkenness Reform in Victoria, um, which is about decriminalizing the offense of public intoxication so a brief background um, about that issue so almost 30 years ago the royal commission into aboriginal deaths in custody recommended that the abolition of public drunkenness um, as an offense Uh, subsequent inquiry in victoria in 2001 also recommended decriminalization but since then nothing has happened Um, and this offends disproportionately and affects Aboriginal Australians and um, the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service estimates that a quarter of the people arrested for public drunkenness each day are Aboriginal, even though just 0.8% of Victoria's population is Indigenous. And this issue has really come into the limelight after the death in police custody of Yoda Yoda woman Tanya Day in April 2017. And there's been a lot of push for reform in this area from her family, but also the Aboriginal legal services in Victoria. So this event that's happening tomorrow at the Wheeler Centre, 6.15 to 7.15 p.m., it's free. You can book your tickets um, on the website. Um, it's a panel discussion with it's really incredible people, including Nayuka Gori, uh, Eddie Kubilo, Shalina Musk, and April Watson, who's the daughter of Auntie Tanya Day. Um, and I'm pretty sure that Thursday Breakfast is covering this issue and interviewing one of the guests, so tune into that as well. Mm. So we just wanted to plug that event. It sounds like the uh, an event that you kind of need to get in quick. Yeah, 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 yeah. The okay. tickets are yeah. filling up really fast. Yeah. We'll try to get some audio, but, you know, mm. who knows. Yeah. And did you also want to mention, was it the... Australian story? Yeah, the, um, I don't know if people saw the yesterday. Yeah, Yeah, Australian story about Debbie Kilroy, um, who's this incredible advocate and lawyer in Queensland, who is also the founder of Sisters Inside, which is an organization that works with women in prison. Um, And recently they. They did this. Oh, I cannot stop gushing about this. They did this crowdfunding campaign to pay off unpaid fines of women in prison in Western Australia. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, and got about oh, I could be completely wrong. About 12 or 13 women out, and this was yeah. you know it was just money raised by people and prevented more than 100 from going into prison. Exactly. Well. They're yeah. really petty crimes that yeah. you know they shouldn't have been. Parking fines. Yeah. 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 And, and so it sounds like Western Australia is the only state that still has those laws in place where people end up in jail because of unpaid fines. Yeah. I think yeah. You're saying. But I think reform is happening, mm. especially after this crowdfunding campaign, mm. which started off as a very modest amount and people just really, you know, came on board um, and everyone started donating money. And I think it's, you know, blown up 
as a bigger campaign than it was initially planned, which is really, really nice to see. Mm. Um, and hopefully that would change laws in Western Australia. Yeah, um, definitely. And we also wanted to talk about that uh, news of that 26-year-old 20, uh, university student, Kiera Ronan, who's this... Um, yeah, yeah, no, it was it was atrocious. She um, uh, couldn't make a court hearing mm. for uh, an an abusive ex partner, um, and she was arrested because of it because she couldn't make the court hearing. Yeah. It was like she gave it; she couldn't because she was sick. Uh, yeah, and she told the court. She told the court. Yeah, yeah, and the magistrate didn't know, and the yeah. prosecutor, you know, demanded that she be arrested. So they arrested her. And she was pregnant. Twenty six. Strip searched. Strip searched. Yeah, spent a night in prison. Mm. It was, and then. Pregnant, pregnant, well. it's yeah, yeah, it's absolutely awful. And on the, like on the day of, the police gave a very non-answer kind of mm. like everyone. It was so overwhelmingly unjust, unjust. And the police were just like, "Hey, we tried to contact her, we couldn't get through. These are the laws, blah blah blah." You know. Yeah. And I think almost immediately after that, like the next day, they're like, "Oh, we're going to stop doing this." Yeah. Which is good. It's it's one of the the rare instances where like, hey, mm. a story is maybe you yeah. know. So many we'll intersecting how, issues. But, she's a domestic violence survivor. Yeah. Mm. She's Aboriginal. Mm. She's pregnant. Um, and she is also the cousin of Miss Tu, the 22-year-old mm. Aboriginal woman who died in WA police custody in 2014 from domestic violence injuries after she was arrested for unpaid fines. Mm. So it's a clear sort of example of that you know, cycle of viciousness and racism and discrimination in the country. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A lot of reforms need to happen in WA police yeah. and Victoria police and all police, you know. But yeah, that's like, that's uh, definitely an area. I think the WAs, they've got some commissioner who is trying, like it sounds, you know, touch wood, mm. some reforms are going to happen, but... Well, it, uh, it was it was announced yesterday that the, the I, I'm not sure if it was the commissioner, but the WA police did acknowledge that there is an overrepresentation of young Aboriginal people in custody in WA, particularly children, mm. it was publicly acknowledged and that it needs to be addressed. So whilst, you know, waiting with uh, maybe relatively realistic and pragmatic thoughts about how this might be addressed, at least there is some movement publicly to acknowledge that, that things aren't aren't the way they should be. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually a really good comment because it, well, it was quite candid. It was just like, even though no children should be in prison, um, it was a comment that's like, yeah, I, gu I guess most of these, most of the kids shouldn't be in prison. Mm -hmm. Like, and getting the WA police chief or whoever it was who said that uh, is pretty big. I wonder, you know, I mean, I'd like oh, to be yeah. hopeful, but, no. you know, recently we found out that 100% of children in the Northern Territory youth juvenile system, 100% mm. yeah. of them are Aboriginal. And this is, you know, 100%. 100%. You know, Don Dale came and went. Yeah. Nothing yeah. has changed. It's gotten worse. Yeah. And the Four Corners report recently, you yeah. know, children in watch houses, which are for adult prisoners. Mm. You know, I want to be hopeful. Yeah. And let's see. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like the story coming back to the Australian story that having that um, Debbie Kilroy's kind of experience be shown on that program mm -hmm. hopefully will be quite significant. And I, I don't think this is throwing my mum under the bus or anything, but I, I had a little debrief with her after the program, and 
she's, I talked to her a lot about prison abolition mm. and, you know, Anya and I were at the conference and we learnt so much there and all of those ideas. And I think people are instantly a little bit like, oh, I don't know about that. Mm. But once you see someone's story and mm-hmm. you understand, and I think you really have to see it. It can't just be me going, oh, this happened and then this, and then this is the reasons why people, you know, it's not, it's not up to them, it's the system. Mm. But until you actually hear directly from someone's experience, it's difficult to really understand. Mm. And I, I wonder if the, we're going to see more and more of that yeah. in the media. And it sounds like we are already seeing that a little bit. Yeah, because prison abolition was such a strange concept maybe mm. even 10 years ago. Yeah. But now it's so much in the news, in the media. Having someone like Debbie Kilroy come on TV and talk about prison abolition is yeah. a huge leap. And, you know, just as you were saying that, George, I was just thinking about that conference and that one yeah. panel session where it was just, you know, women with lived experience talking about mm. their experiences. And anyone with even the slightest doubt about prison abolition could not walk away from that panel thinking this is okay. Yeah. Can you just explain what this conference was? Yeah. Yeah. So it was organized by Sisters Inside, which um, Debbie Kilroy founded. Um, and so they do this by annual, no. Once every two years. Is that yes, biannual? that's yeah. Uh, that I'm not sure it? about the term. Yeah. <laughs> Biannual has two meanings. It yeah, can mean both every two it. years and twice a year. It's one of those confusing <laughs> ones. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so you want to know about years. words? Come to me. So as a geek. Um, anyway. <laughs> I'm proud of it. <laughs> so it happens once every two years, and um, you know it revolves around the themes of prison abolition and um, the carceral system and how we can end it, basically, um, and they usually get Angela Davis to come down. Angela Davis. Yeah, I know. She had breakfast a couple of tables away from a us. A couple of tables. <laughs> we could see her. I can't believe I'm sitting. I'm sitting in a room with two people who breathe the same air as Angela Davis, and I'm not even saying that to make fun of them. I'm genuinely. No, I know. It was probably the highlight of our lives. Yeah, probably. I don't, know, I don't want to speak for Anya, but. hundred <laughs> percent. Um. So, you know, it was a three-day conference and we heard a lot from women with lived experience, you know, women who've been in prison um, and who've experienced, um, you know, intersecting issues of family violence and, and criminality and prison. And we also heard from all activists all around the world about how they are trying to push uh, prison abolition in their own countries. Um, we heard a lot from Indigenous activists about what they're doing, you know, on the grassroots level. Um, and yeah, just, you know, th- the theme for last year's conference was imagining a world without prisons, which like sounds really, I don't know, a bit idealistic and maybe even a little bit simplistic. But the actual idea of imagining a world without prisons just upends everything that we know at the moment. It just, you know, completely makes you rethink the systems and structures that it, that exist. And prison abolition doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? You have to make sure that people, when people, you know, get out of prison, where do they go? What's the housing situation? What's, you know, if they're victims of or survivors of domestic violence, what happens next? Where do we put them? What do we do with the children, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, poverty? Um, and so imagining a world like that takes a lot of courage, which was the theme of yeah. the conference and what we had to do to get there. Anyway, I've just rented a lot. No, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's it's such an exciting movement. I think mm. because of what you described in terms of it's about everybody, mm. and like it it crosses over all these different issues. It's mm. one of the only movements that really does that. Mm. It's so yeah, it's so exciting. Yeah, and there are things that are happening in that space in Australia as well. So the Maranaka Justice Reinvestment Project in Burke, for example, which is working to 
um, support young people who might have interactions with the justice system, in particular young Aboriginal people. Mm -hmm. And instead of having them move through the justice system, they, it's a collective impact or a community-based, place-based project where the whole community is involved. And the money that is taken that is, would normally be used for the justice system, for the police, for the courts, for all of that, is instead invested into early intervention and prevention projects cool. to um, support these young people mm -hmm. to not engage with the justice system. Mm -hmm. System. And so the money isn't even being used in other places. The money that would be used to incarcerate these and, and, and oppress these children and young people is being used to support them mm -hmm. and improve their outcomes. And it's across a wide range of things, including health services, education, community services. It is, and, it's, and it's led and directed by the community. Mm -hmm. And it is one of the most incredible things yeah. out there. We, um, we need to forward that to Dan Andrews, who just mm. spent $2 oh billion dollars on prisons yeah. in Victoria. So yeah. I'm yeah. going to have to find that and yeah. send yeah. There's yeah. a shoot him an email. There's Let's a lot talk of work about that actually in, in yeah. a lot more detail next yeah. week about what That's can be done with that $1.2 billion that he's put into prisons. It's yeah. wild. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Australia's most progressive premier in mm. Korea. You know, the, yeah, there's definitely a lot of work to be done in this mm. space. Yeah. Um, so next up we're going to play... Uh, an excerpt of Wild Black Women, which is a program on 98.9 FM, an indigenous community radio station in Mianjin. The program is hosted by Dr. Chelsea Bond and Angelina Hurley. And in this segment, they discuss their thoughts on Reconciliation Week and on having the first indigenous minister for indigenous affairs. Also a very interesting topic, so we'll hear that now. Let's talk on 98.9 FM. It's Chelsea Bond and Angelina Hurley. <sighs> it feels like it's been a sh an hour already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True, eh? Um, but there was a whole lot of a whole lot of interesting things happening this week. Uh, there was, aside from bad morning teas. Yes. Um, uh, um, <laughs> so I feel look, it feels a bit contradictory, but hey, what the hell? Um, <laughs> there were um, people complaining about reconciliation week activities and boycotting them, um, but there were also people complaining about the lack of respect shown during this week. Um, so, for example, yeah, I had some example. I had yeah, someone on Twitter who said um, that their school is celebrating National Health and Wellbeing Week, not Reconciliation Week. Oh, more erasure. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think special mention has to go to um, the project. And I've come across this sister Jacinta Kumatri um, posted this and she, she roused them. The project at the, on the 26th of May, um, the start of the National Reconciliation Week, ran a story about some farmers who had their land compulsory acquired by the federal government. <laughs> uh, with sad music, and it was a, it was a heart, you know, heart, gut wrenching, heartbreaking story. I don't, I got to, yeah, no, I better not do that one. Um, I started watch. I actually saw that. I started watching it, and I was going, oh, really heartbroken, and then there's tears, and there's all this like hundred years of, you know, history with the connection to land, and they were selling it like this, and how bad it. I'm just sitting there going, yeah, and. Mm. Now, ha hello, our connection to land is longer than that. Yep. Yes, you know what it is now like to have your land stolen off you, blah, blah, blah. Yep. And then they got paid out, were wealthy enough to go and buy another property straight away. Hello. With a bunch of sheep. 
So you can shove your shape up your oh, Where's our compensation for our stolen land? That's why we should have a national reparations week. <laughs> anyway, it was it was hard to watch. That um, story just annoyed me just a little bit. Just a little. If you got into the story about you know loss of land <laughs> during this week, during reconciliation week, <laughs> uh, white woman's up. tears no. not the thing that should be centred right now. Um, although in morning tears around the country, I'm pretty sure it was. <laughs> <laughs> With a bunch of uh, decorated cupcakes. <laughs> With sprinkles. Oh, but look, it was a big week for reconciliation because um, apparently all is well. Yes. Because now we have an Indigenous man as the Minister for Indigenous Australia. Australians. I'm not sure what the new title is. So now I don't know which hotkey to press. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether to go... Mm. Look, I didn't, I didn't want to like, um, you know, spoil the party and be that, you know, negative black woman. No, you know, um, but I couldn't celebrate it. No, either could I, really. Like, what annoys me about it is that the so-called historical moment now that Liberal gets a gammon claim when it should have been the Labor Party and Pat Dodson. Mm. Yeah, I'm and. Uh, yeah, because, um, look, I mean, I, was, I think I've said it a million times this week, the most violent place you can be in the colony is being the one black person in a white institution. I know. It is, it's, you know. And giving um, Uncle this consideration, how hard is that going to be? They're not going to let him do anything. No, and, and if we look at track record. Yeah. Um, you know, he was the Minister for Indigenous Health. Yeah. And on his watch... Um, a really significant investment commitment was made to Indigenous health research. But it didn't go to the Indigenous Health Research Institution, the national one, no. the Lovitch Institute. They didn't get that, that money. No. It went to a white institution. So I'm not all excited about having someone in a position of power who's not using their power to redistribute to black people. Yes. It's oh. just like the... Oh, no. It's like Curtly Beale in his Indigenous design uniform while singing the anthem. <laughs> Looks like the... <laughs> it's almost like the metaphoric Aboriginal best friend. Hey. So blackfellas can't <laughs> critique what happens during this next term because it's a blackfella in charge. Yeah. But doing the work of a very conservative government. Yeah. And, you know, you can look up how um, our, our new minister has voted historically on a range of issues. Yes, I know. Um, I've seen, and that worries me, and it's worrying a few people, to understatement. He voted strongly against protecting the Great Barrier Reef. Yeah. Um, thank you, Minister. Um, and, look, uh, there's a whole lot of really alarming things that he supported or was against. But the most... Um, telling thing about his track record um, is that let me just find it Ken Wyatt has never voted against the majority of their party since entering parliament in August 2010 there you go yeah so there's this thing sometimes we have we get, you know, black fellows in senior positions in white institutions and you know of course we're proud of our mob that they can make it. 
But at the same time, we also know the truth about what they have to concede in order to be in that chair. Yeah. And the trade-off isn't worth it. And I and I got a really weird. We got a uh, not, not a weird, <laughs> just a straight out text about um. Well, we, we we've been discussing this all the time. How there's a bunch of conservative black fellas out there because we're a diverse group of people. Yeah. But uh, one sister couldn't believe. Or well, we've said this before yeah. during the election. We can't believe people who vote for the LNP in the first place. Mm. But oh man, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I think it's, it's not about um. Um, hating on uncle, no. but it's being honest about what this means. And even if um, you were to hold a, you know, um, a, a really fierce position in defence of, of blackfellas and had a strong track record of that, it's there's still the the concern we have is we know how black bodies get used by white fellas and white institutions yeah. to rationalise all kinds of violent nonsense. And so I'm I'm I'm, I'm as much worried for him. As I yes, am um, sceptical about the, you know, what's going to come for us over the next next little period. Yeah. Um, I don't think this is a um, historic moment in Indigenous affairs. No. I think it's just a rebranding of more of the same and, and perhaps what's worse to come because it'll be enabled by the fact that there's a black fella in charge. That's right. Let's just think about Native police for a moment. Oh, I know. We know our history. We yeah. know how this works. I know. <sighs> Hashtag grounded in truth. Oh no. All I can do is sigh. But are possum skins coats and kangaroo coats taken over from lap lats as our national costume? I'm not going to touch that because the artist can ring you about that one. All right then. <laughs> <laughs> Just wondering. <laughs> uh, now, look, we've been putting the word out. Um, I should say we've been putting the word out. We haven't just been running down NAIDOC, uh, NAIDOC week. Shut up. Reconciliation hey. week. Oh, they're both talking about truth. It's confusing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a month away. Um, but we've been putting it out there and we've had some um, mob from around the country talk a little bit about Reconciliation Week. We might go to the Two Deadly Mob. Yeah, well, we asked. We just wasn't, as always, we asked the mob what they think. We were hoping to get some... Um, feedback from uh, places around the state, uh, the country here, tired. But um, hey. yeah, yeah, <laughs> so we, we've asked the mob out there, Roburn, Pilbara, hello Pilbara, how are my people, thank you for listening in and we got some feedback from them and Townsville Mob, thank you um, too too for... Don't listen to us, but you'll send us some stories, so thank you, Sister <laughs> Yes, thank you. We so see you. Should we listen to what they yeah, have to I'll, say? Yeah, let me just play a couple. Reconciliation is moving very, very slowly. So in some spaces, it's working. In some spaces where they need to have a reconciliation action plan, sometimes it's just a ticker box. Um, to say that we've done it, but do they truly believe in what they're doing and are they truly believing in um, the Indigenous knowledges that have been put forward and to work together to, to um, solve um, or co-create um, solutions for um, where we need to go as mob and wider Australia. Hey, sure of it. Hey. I've got another one here. For me, it's an ongoing journey. You know, I think it's something that we need to be working at every single day. So it's really important um, for me um, to work with people in the community and making sure that they're not being disadvantaged in any way. But reconciliation for me is absolutely an ongoing journey and something that I work on every day. 
Reconciliation Week for me is an important event on the calendar because um, Australia is a multicultural country and um, people come here maybe with uh, high expectations or no expectations. But um, I feel that it's a, a need for people to understand and accept Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture which includes history, past, present and future and also to respect the, the land, the sea because part of that is our history and um, without respect for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history there is no respect for our future and we all need to walk together in hand in hand with recognition and also uh, coming to terms with the past, present and future. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR and we were just listening to an excerpt from the program Wild Black Women on community radio station 98.9 FM in Mianjin and that uh, program is hosted by Dr Chelsea Bond and Angelina Hurley and in that segment they were discussing their thoughts on Reconciliation Week and the having the first Indigenous Minister for Indigenous Affairs. So if you're interested in listening to more of that program, it's awesome, and you can follow them on Twitter and Facebook at Wild Black Women. But now in the studio is Zoe. <laughs> um, Zoe is a Puerto Rican and American painter. Yeah. From um, New Jersey. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so, I mean, I've been looking forward to this interview for ages now. Yeah, I feel so like exciting. we set it up months ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, you're here to talk about your upcoming exhibition. That's right. Later this yeah. month. Yeah. But it would be great to first start off by talking about your how you've come to kind of engage with art and mm. and painting and what that means for you. Yeah. Um well, I I guess everyone has their own weird little story about this, but I really just started making art after I graduated from uni. Um and I graduated after studying theater and communications and I was just kind of like, what do I do now? <laughs> um and I was dealing with like a lot of stress and anxiety, so I just started making these paintings for myself um, to relax. And then uh, my friends and family started looking at them and they were like, oh, these are actually kind of good. Like, why don't you share them? Started sharing them a bit on Instagram and stuff like that. And then got myself a fancy little iPad <laughs> and just carry that shit around with me all the time. I've seen you with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I started doing like these little illustration drawings and it's just, it's just kind of, blossomed from there mm. I, I just do it all the time because I love to do it um and I think it gives me a special voice I think I can communicate kind of better through that than I can in any other way yeah and I'm really looking forward to talking more about that voice and what yeah, yeah what that is but um I think that's really cool to come from a place where it's it's about something that makes you feel good as well. Mm. Yeah. If you're doing it, it because of yeah, if you had those that anxiety or whatever, and then this is kind of a, a yeah. way of you know working through that energy. I think yeah. that's a really cool way to approach anything creative. Yeah, definitely. Because I I don't I did I wasn't taught 
um, formally. So everything that I do and everything that I know is just based off of it. It's pretty intuitive, mm. which is good, I think. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And so... Let's talk about the voice. So what what kind of ideas do you try and communicate through your work? Yeah. Um, so my work is very um, centered around women. And I I think it's really important that I create a voice for myself as a woman of color, um, as a Puerto Rican woman, um, because <laughs> it makes me kind of emotional talking about it sometimes. But just because... Like, there aren't that many of them. <laughs> if you try and look up um, an, a Puerto Rican artist, there's, like, two. <laughs> um, and especially women. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, that's a story. Those are stories, and my story, I think, you know, it, it gets a little bit self-centered sometimes, just art in general does. Mm-hmm. So I try to separate myself from that and try to remember that, like, it's important for me to have a voice just to to contribute, not just because it's about me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think a lot of my art just centers around that. And it's just, it's just me being honest about whatever I feel like being honest about. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I try not to, it's not always political. Like I, I like being silly and I don't really like taking my work too seriously, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, but I just think by doing it and by putting my stuff out there, that's a good contribution for like represent representing women like me yeah. I guess yeah absolutely yeah. so it's about that visibility yeah and yeah that's that's pretty shocking that there there there's not that many known Puerto Rican no female <laughs> artists like yeah that's yeah yeah and I, I think it's funny I get this I get this um comparison a lot with my work to Picasso and that's I know interesting I, I know and I it's <laughs> It's hard, like, it's weird saying it because it's, like, ridiculous. Picasso's obviously amazing, but he was also a dickhead. Um, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. So I kind of feel like, I'm like, okay, how can I work with this comparison in, like, a positive way? Mm -hmm. And how cool would it be if, like, I kind of flipped that on its head and became, like, a Latin, a Latina artist? Yeah woman who's doing something that's like positive for women as opposed to some the things that Picasso did which were quite um against women yeah and yeah absolutely and I think that like he's dead right he's dead he'd be shaking in his grave that that yeah that empowered women of color are (laughs) using his kind of like being influenced by his work yeah that's that's really funny um and so, you know, obviously I I follow your work on Instagram, and if listeners do want to check that out, what's mm. your... Uh, yeah, so it's uh, Zoe Myla de Jesus, that's my full name. Um, so yeah, you can find me at that handle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think that's really accurate what you said about there are political aspects to it, but it also has that mm. um, that lightheartedness as well. Yeah, it's a weird spot that I find myself in because I almost feel like I it's political without me trying. I don't have to do anything to make it political. It's just that by putting myself into a social space and by being the person that I am, it inevitably just becomes political. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And can you describe a bit more about those elements? Because you have mm. writing on your yeah. uh, paintings, and can you kind of um, elaborate on that? 
I guess to, when I'm actually making stuff, um, I, I try to just like make what comes to me it's, <laughs> yeah. um, without sounding too like cliche. But um, yeah, I think I make the best work when I just kind of relax and I just like start drawing or painting and I try really hard not to think about it. I just like see what comes out. Um, I, a huge inspiration for me is Basquiat for that reason, because he's like it's, his work is free associative. It's just kind of like, OK, what's in what's on my mind? What's going to come out right now? Just mm. like put it on the paper, almost like brainwaves on paper. Yeah. Um, and so I try to incorporate a bit of that. But then also sometimes I might have an idea of something that I want to express and so those are a bit more thought out um but yeah like lots of naked women i like gravitate towards drawing naked women i gravitate towards drawing faces um and like i like really kind of melancholy things like sadness sometimes i I, my my work can like lean into that but i try to make it a bit more lighthearted. it's hard it's so hard for me to explain no that's kind of it's a yeah, it's a really beautiful process. Yeah. Yeah. It means a lot to me. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the upcoming exhibition. Yeah, right on. So it's called <laughs> Buy Me Dinner First. Is That's that right. right. Yeah. And so maybe we could start by talking about how you came about, you know, how, how you started to kind of work on this mm. series. Yeah. Um, well, I came to Melbourne uh, something like eight months ago now and um, with the intention to work on art. Um, and have the time and like freedom to work on art. And so that's kind of a big undertaking because it's a lot of pressure that I put on myself. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? Um, and this idea just kind of came to me ran, not, not randomly. My work focuses on sexuality a lot. Um, and I've always been interested in sexuality, my own sexuality, um, other people's, um, I love talking about like sex and love and relationships. It's just like, it gets me giddy and like excited, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, and so I was like, what could I focus on for a long period of time that I wouldn't get tired of? What do I, what do I want to know about in the world? And this was just one of the things. And I was like, I could just sit down with people and ask them all those probing questions that like might be burning in my head all the time that you can't ask in a social situation. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, or it's harder to, yeah. yeah, it's harder to jump in with those questions when you're just hanging out. Yeah, with exactly. Mates. I might, but that's probably <laughs> weird. Um, but yeah, so I was just like, I just wrote them all down one day. I was just like, what is everything that I would like want to know if I was sitting across from someone? And, um, yeah, and so then I just came up with this concept that I would interview people about sex and about what they thought about it and their desires and their own, like, interaction with sexuality and how their current sexuality has, like, come to be what it is. Mm. Um, and I, I, the more that I kind of dug into it, the more I realized how important it is and how connected it is to everything. And when I asked people these questions like how we go off on tangents and we end up talking about stuff that's like you might not think is related to sex, but it is because it's like this huge driving force Mm. in all of our lives. Mm. Um, And that's kind of what I wanted to get at. And so, 
Yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk more about yeah some of those conversations, but if you've just tuned in, I'm speaking to Zoe, who is a Puerto Rican and American illustrator and painter from New Jersey, about her upcoming exhibition, Buy Me Dinner First. <laughs> so you used these interviews. What were mm. the kinds of questions that you asked and what kind, kind of answers did you get? Yeah, so I would ask things, like I would start, I would always start the interview by asking the person to define sex for me. Um, and I always thought that was a really interesting question to start off with because people are kind of like, oh, okay, um, never thought about that before. Like, what does it actually mean to me? Mm. Um, and <clears throat> that was really, really interesting. Um, I would just, I would get things that ranged from like, oh, it's a connection between two people. Um, it's, it, it can be between between two, three, four, <laughs> five people. Um, it's not a physical act at all. You know, like all these yeah. different interpretations of it. Um, and then I would go on to ask them like maybe a bit more personal questions like um, what does an orgasm feel like for you? Um, and ask them to really like describe it and go back to that, like those moments and figure out like what does it feel like what did like what colors come to mind when you think about sex um which is helpful for me like in as in the creative process I would incorporate all of the colors that they mentioned into each painting yeah. um uh yeah things like asking them about their first sexual experience how they learned about sex mm. um all like tons of questions there's like yeah. 50 they would go on for an hour <laughs> it's all, that, uh, I think that's really incredible that there's that much detail in the process mm -hmm. like you didn't just have this like five minute conversation and then go okay mm -hmm. I understand I'm just going to paint something yeah. about your experience you know yeah. that's really detailed yeah yeah those conversations yeah they were the most they were the, they were the most fun and what was amazing is that I got to talk to people um from all different backgrounds. So I would specifically choose people of different ages. Some, I've interviewed someone who was like 46, um, interviewed someone who was 21, um, and then everything in between, um, lesbian women, gay women, trans women. Like the, uh, the only people I didn't get to was like a straight white older guy. <laughs> understandings of their sex, sex yeah. sexuality in the yeah, that's, yeah. Fine. that's the thing i was like <laughs> if i have to leave this person out i guess it's okay <laughs> but i was curious i was so curious because it's not only about like yes we get a certain interpretation of the of a straight white man in the media um but that doesn't mean it's true right. and so if i sit across from a, a man and i talk to them i mean that whole experience I did interview one straight white guy, but he was younger. I wanted an older one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that experience is very interesting for me because, and it all influences the work. And like, you know, I, I felt this kind of strange tension talking to him about sex versus to when I talked to a woman. Um, the, the experience is completely different. And I wonder... You know, I would wonder either way, but like wonder how much of it was true and how much was it like, how much was he just telling me because he thought those are things I wanted to hear, right. like. And to what extent do you think that was the case with the people? So you spoke to over ten people, yeah. is that correct, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
did you get a sense from some people that there was a genuineness and an authenticity there or did you feel like people felt uncomfortable mm. and you know what was that like yeah so I for the most part um people walked away telling me that it felt like cathartic or therapeutic and that they had never thought about these things before and that um it felt really good for them yeah. to talk about it um but then there is that there there is that there are those moments and there are those questions that you can't I don't know that I could get to unless the person was really open or unless it was might be anonymous just because I have to understand that the subject matter is still taboo and it's not something that everyone wants to share so like a question that I ask is um can you talk about like any desires that you have yet to experience or Mm. like fetishes essentially Mm. or something that maybe is a bit unorthodox yeah and more air quotes around that you know what I mean because I you know I try to I try to project this idea that like nothing you nothing that you desire is incorrect or wrong Mm -hmm. it's okay to like explore these things but you know it doesn't matter if i say that yeah. <laughs> it still might be weird yeah so um yeah and so we're almost out of time but just yeah, last sorry. question no, <laughs> rambling on. Um, i guess if people are interested they can come and see mm. <laughs> um, yes but so how can listeners come and see your work yes okay cool so um <laughs> my show is going to be at maggie wren's art space mm-hmm. um on johnston street in collingwood on june 21st friday june 21st and um it starts at 6 p.m um, it'll go till 10 p.m. We will have beer. We will have wine. We'll have <laughs> cheese. Um, and we'll have music. And you can come and have a good sexy time with us. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on oh, to talk about it. Yeah. I can't wait to see the work. Yeah, thanks so much, George. <laughs> and so we're going to play one of your recommendations. Yes, please. This is Stella Donnelly with Tricks. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on Tracia. We're listening to Stella Donnelly. We'd like to say thank you to all of our incredible guests today. Courtney from St. Kilda Legal Service. We had an excerpt from Wild Black Women. Thank you to Chris with the headlines. And lastly, Zoe and her art exhibition. Up next is Accent of Women. And you can catch us next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs>